somebody that you don't know right now, turn around and tell them it's good to see them at church today. Do that right now. today as you're getting ready to hear in just a few moments you're going to hear a challenge brought to us by our pastor this morning my challenge to you at this point 
to prepare our hearts for the challenge that will be presented to you in just a few minutes would be this. Today, can you truly say without a shadow of a doubt that I fully put my trust in Christ? And if you have, if you can answer yes to that question and you could say, Lord, today, I want to love you with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, with everything that I am. A lot of times, you know, when you have a cold and you got the sniffles or, or you got a cough or something like that, a lot of times we go and buy medicine to deal with that symptom. But really, the symptom may lie a lot deeper than just the symptom of a cough or, or, or a runny nose. And a lot of times with our spiritual life, that's exactly what happens as well. We deal a lot of times with the symptom of maybe anger or fear or greed or lying or cheating or something like that. When the real, is the real issue is that we have a loveless heart towards the Lord. So when we get that part right, when we turn our heart completely to the Father and deal with the root of that issue, man, anger and peace and our anger and fear and and jealousy and greed and lying, all that other stuff, God will surely take control and our life will be changed. So I pray that today that you can truly sing, I'm loving you, Father, more every day. I'm loving you more every day. Think about that as we sing this song. I'm loving you more every day.
Sunday marks the beginning of Sanctity of Life Week. Sanctity of Life basically reminds you and I that we as followers of Jesus value all of life and we value even the unborn child. Uh, the Bible makes it very plain that God forms us in our mother's wombs, that He actually knew us before that. And so as a result, there is no right for any human whatsoever to ever uh, commit abortion. So we know that that is murder and it is a sin. And so what we want to do as a New Testament church is to be confidently praying and asking God to continue to sway those who are in leadership in our country, as well as sway those and encourage those biblically who are followers of Jesus Christ to stand up for the truth. Amen. Amen. And so this morning we want to pray. We want to ask the Lord to place his hand upon those who are even at this present moment considering having an abortion. And we want to pray that God would move on their hearts, that they would remain steadfast and have the child because first and foremost, it's God's child. So let's pray together. Father, we're thankful this morning that you hear our prayers. Thankful that there is a time in a, the life of a church family where we're reminded of the sanctity of life. We're reminded indeed that life is precious and that it is by your gracious hand that anyone comes into being. And Father, you have a plan and a purpose for every single purpose person. And so, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would forgive us as a country, you'd forgive us as people who have allowed abortion to take place, murder at such high rates here in the U.S. And God, I pray that you would enable us as followers of you to really stand up and be beacons of light in the dark places, showing that there is indeed hope even when there's an unwanted or undesired pregnancy. But God, there is hope through that and that you can be seen and you can use every single life for your divine purposes. And God, I want to pray specifically as well for those who have had an abortion. God, there may be some who go to church here who may be visiting with us and they've already committed this particular sin. Father, I thank you that on the cross, you died for the sin of those even who would commit abortion. God, you poured out your divine wrath on your own son for those sins. And God, it's through the death of Jesus Christ, his burial and resurrection, that the condemnation that looms over a person's life can be absolutely removed by faith. And so, God, this morning, I pray that there will be those who would come to the cross and they would receive hope, hope in their particular circumstances. And God, we are reminded, that's why we're here today, to worship you because you have been resurrected your son Jesus Christ and we want to lift you up and I pray even as you did in the first service that you would redeem a soul you bring people to yourself today but ultimately challenge us to grow in our faith and we'll give you glory for that now help us to continue to worship you in spirit and in truth and it's in the name of Christ that we pray
this place today. Amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. If you've got a Bible, you can open it to the Gospel of Mark this morning. The Gospel of Mark. So wonderful to have the choir back this morning. Amen. Good to see them. I know they've had some time to relax a little bit after the Christmas production. But Mark's Gospel this morning, as we go through what we're entitling the I Challenge. I'm going to preach the entire gospel this morning of Mark. Uh, so I hope you all are ready for that. Amen. should have a good time. So let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, uh, as we open up the word, we also pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would, beyond a shadow of a doubt, be able to stand in your presence, not based upon anything that we have done, but based upon all that you have done on our behalf in Jesus. And God, we come into your presence now and we ask that you would speak clearly to us. You would take the scriptures and you would challenge us with the example of your son. Teach us as a church family how to grow in our faith, how to make a, or shall I say, an, in, an eternal impact for your namesake. And God, I would ask as well that you would simply take the word and launch it from the scripture into our hearts. And may we each be challenged as we seek to grow this morning. And Father, I also want to pray that every single word that's spoken uh, would honor you, and that you would not allow anything to distract during this moment that we have together. And Lord, as we leave here, I pray that we leave renewed with a, a brand new passion, kindled for the Son of God to accomplish your purposes. And we'll give you glory for it. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, as the president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln had a desire on one occasion to go to a church service. Now, he knew if he went to a church service, he would actually distract everyone there. So he had his aide call the pastor of that particular church and make arrangements. So sure enough, the aide called the pastor. The pastor said, you know, uh, president, he can come and he can sit inside of my office and he can see me from my office and also hear the entirety of the message and no one else will know that he's there. So they agreed and that's exactly what they did. Abraham Lincoln and his aide went to church that particular Sunday after the service had already begun. They were met by someone at the door who carried them straight to the pastor's study. And then they sat down, listened to the entire sermon. Once it was over with, they kind of went out the same side door and were headed home. So the aide looked up at tall Lincoln and asked him a simple question. He said, well, what did you think about the message this morning? And Abraham Lincoln responded and basically said, you know, it was okay. He said, well, explain to me what was the problem with it. And Abraham Lincoln said, he did not ask us to do anything great. See, he had a marvelous message. His delivery was good, but he asked us never to do something great with our lives. Well, this morning, what I want to do is challenge you to do something great. I want to challenge the entire fellowship to do something great. You know, the United States, over the past 20 years, there has actually been a sharp decline in the New Testament church, especially in America. Fewer people are growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a result, listen, fewer people are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it's well noted that the Baptist church has experienced great heartache and has been deemed to be on the verge of death. Chuck Kelly, the president of the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, he preached a sermon to the student body in which he described Baptist, and I quote, he said, Baptists are a dying breed, end quote. And having spent a couple of years in evangelism, I've had the privilege to preach, you know, in the Carolinas, Alabama, and Georgia, and some other places, I would have to agree with Chuck Kelly. Most churches are overwhelmingly dead. You know, if our great leader, Jesus, got up from the dead, that means he's alive. Am I correct on that? So if we claim to follow the very one who has been raised from the dead, there is no excuse for any of us to be dead. We should also be alive. You know, Jesus said, I've come to give them life and life abundantly. So if our leader, Jesus, if he came to give us life, then the question is, why are so many congregations dead or dying? You know, I'm convinced that too many have neglected the simple disciplines of following our Lord. I'm also convinced that if we at Concord neglect these disciplines in our lives, 
we could be part of the dismal statistics of a dying or even a dead church. You know, on the other hand, if we accept the I challenge this morning, we hold the potential to be a vibrant church full of life and energy toward God. We could be used by God as the early church to turn the world upside down. You know, we can make such a mark for God that it not only impacts this generation, but it can impact generations to come. You know, marriages could be restored. Children could come back to their parents. Congregations outside of Concord, they could be edified as a result of our witness. Schools could be transformed. Businesses could actually be influenced. See, the light of God's people at Concord could illuminate every element of our current culture. Your family members could be redeemed. Your neighbors could come to faith in Jesus Christ. Your work colleagues could be snatched from the fire, as Jude says. Darkness could be stopped, and the kingdom of light could advance. And most importantly, God would be magnified, and Jesus Christ would be exalted, and the Spirit of God would have freedom to move among you and I here in this fellowship. And can I be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, that is my heartbeat. That is my prayer for this congregation. That is my great desire for you and I. I would say it to you like this. There are a ton of churches all over Georgia and the United States. But I pray in Jesus' name that we do not sit back and say we will just be another church in another town. I pray that we would stand up and say, no, 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 we've got plenty of churches who are dead. Let us be a church that is alive for Jesus Christ so that God could magnify your witness, magnify your testimony, and do something great in Hall and White County, Georgia, the U.S., and all over the world. I am young enough and probably dumb enough to believe that God could use this congregation to shake the nations. But you and I have to make a decision together that we will put our hands in one another's hands and we will charge forward with the light of the gospel, never compromising the truth of God's word, never standing back when the Spirit says go, but always moving forward, holding up our lights. And Jesus said that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We can be that city on a hill which cannot be hidden, not by our culture, nor by the devil himself. But you and I must accept the challenge. We must be challenged in the core disciplines of the Christian life. Now, over the past couple of weeks, I've had the opportunity to study through the book of Mark. And in the book of Mark, I began to follow closely the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and came to realize that there were three foundational disciplines that Jesus had in his life that I believe you and I must have in our life if we desire to genuinely make an impact. And ladies and gentlemen, this isn't just rhetoric. Y'all all right? I'm not just trying to be cute up here. I really am fixing to challenge the fire out of you. Y'all with me? Say yes. And so I want to do that this morning and basically show you on this massive iPad that that we have today, which is pretty impressive. Wouldn't you agree? And uh, we've got so many talented people here. We're not going to play Bejeweled. We'll do that after the service. But this morning, I want you to know there are three major challenges that I want to issue to you. And then I'm going to ask you to make a decision to accept those challenges. And those three challenges are marked by these three icons on the screen. But the first challenge that I want to give to you is the challenge of a daily devotion. So I want to challenge you to determine in your heart and mind this morning that you are going to spend time with the Lord on a daily basis. You say, well, is that what Jesus did? It's exactly what he did. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, the Bible says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. You know, I find it interesting 
Jesus only had three, maybe three and a half years to complete his public ministry. Three years to declare the truth that through him all of humanity could come to God the Father. Three years to make an influence that would ultimately shake the entire globe. His schedule was overwhelmingly busy with ministry. The sick were brought to him for prayer. The dead were brought to him to be raised. The crowds followed him for bread. The children were brought to him to be entertained. He was continuing to teach and to preach all the days of his life. He took up day and night as well to invest in 12 men who were following him. He was adamantly opposed by the religious leaders, so his ministry was not easy. He was tempted by the devil and the angels in all ways as we are, yet without sin. He narrowly escaped death on many occasions. He faithfully followed his father's will to be nailed to a cross for the sins of the world. But through all of this busyness, Jesus found time to spend with God the Father. And I would have to say to you uh, this morning, as well as myself, none of us are as busy or are as busy as Christ was when he walked the face of the earth. In Mark 6, 46, the Bible tells us Jesus left for the mountain to pray. In Mark 14, 32, Jesus said to his disciples, you sit here while I go and pray. The priority of the Son of God was to spend time with God the Father. And we find ourselves highly busy today as well. God has numbered our days too. We have only so much time here on earth to accomplish the purpose for which God enabled us to breathe. Uh, can I just say this for free just because it's on my heart this morning? Um, reality is you do not know when your last day is going to be up. And God has given you a purpose. God has given you a plan. God's given you hope. And you have only so much time. That's all I've got to do what the Lord desires to do through us. You know, I had a, a buddy of mine that I served on staff with when I first started in ministry. I was a student ministry intern. He was a college intern. He's one year older than me. I got a text message this past week from a buddy of mine named Michael who told me that this friend of ours was dead. He passed away this week, 34 years old. So I called my buddy. I said, well, what in the world happened? He said he was in, his, uh, in the bathroom and had a seizure. And from what the uh, coroners can tell, he just simply suffocated to death. All in an instant, left a wife, left a five-year-old, left a three-year-old. Now, some people say, well, surely if we'd have given him some better medicine, man, he would have been all right. God has numbered our days. Look, I don't know when my day's up. I don't know when my name is going to be called. It could be next week. It could be next year. Um, Lord help y'all, it could be 10 or 15 years. Y'all all right? But the reality is, I know that God has placed something within me. God has placed something within you to make a difference. And he puts this in us to make a mark for his namesake so that others might come to know him. And we've got to realize in the course of our busyness that we must have a priority in our life to spend time with the Father. Look, it only makes logical sense that you and I should be spending time with God in prayer and his word on a daily basis because that's what Jesus did. We speak to God through prayer, and God speaks to us through his word. We are guided by the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, and we are led by the Holy Spirit to live out the word of God. You know, Jesus prayed to the Father in John's gospel, chapter 17 and verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You know what Jesus was doing? Jesus was praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for his disciples. He says, Father, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sanctify them. Set them aside by the truth. Set them aside. Sanctify them. I mean, change their life by the truth of the word. God has prayed that for you. Christ is answering that prayer in our lives. We're being set aside by the word. And God sets us aside to accomplish his divine purposes while we are here through his word. So we've seen Mark 135 where Jesus spends time with the Father. But I want to say, what are some action steps that you can take, that I can take, to make sure we adopt the challenge of spending time with the Lord on a daily basis? So let's take a look very quickly at those three action steps First of all, we must find a place of isolation. We must find a place of isolation. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 6, enter your closet and pray. 
You know, Adrian Rogers, a great hero of the faith, once said this, and I love it, and I quote, find a place where you can close the doors to the world and open the windows of heaven. You know, I also read about a mother who was finding it extremely difficult to spend time with the Lord on a daily basis because her children were always all around her. So she would wake up in the morning and the kids immediately would say, I need this or I want that. Have y'all seen this happen? I have. But anyway, so this was happening in this lady's life and she deeply desired to spend time with the Lord but just couldn't find the time. So she came up with a great idea. She went into her bathroom, got a massive towel, went to her breakfast room, sat down, took the towel, put it over her head and over the Bible and literally shut out what was going on all around her. She told her children, when the towel is over my head, don't mess with me, I'm talking to God. So she was finding a place of isolation even in the populace of her own home. And some of you may flat out need to do that, just get a big old towel. Y'all all right? Uh, sir, wouldn't you love it? You came downstairs one morning and you find your wife all covered up with a towel. God bless her. Just know she's talking to the Lord, probably praying for you, all right? But anyway, you can go and sit in the bathroom, shut the door. You may be able to get into your actual closet, shut the door. Like Jesus, you may have to leave all together and go to a mountain to spend time with God. Something interesting about uh, the area here, which Krista and I saw brand new for us, there are mountains around here. Have y'all noticed that? So some of you may actually need to go to a mountain just to spend some time with the Lord. Get along with God. And you can go to uh, what I used to call Wauka Mountain, but found it is actually Waka Mountain, all right? <laughs> so you can do that. But whatever the case, you need to find a place of isolation. But then there's a second step that you can take. Not only should you find a place of isolation, you need to spend time in meditation. Spend time in meditation. Have a Bible with you, open and ready to read. You don't know exactly what to read. You have no idea where to spend time with the Lord. Uh, let me tell you what I did when I really got serious about my relationship with the Lord. I, I went straight to the table of contents in my Bible. And I looked at the Old Testament and I noticed that there were some books that had a lot more pages than other books. So I chose these small books to begin with, amen? And I started reading those. And all I did was sit down and read those over and over. And I would write down things God was teaching me through the Word. And then when I would finish reading and writing, I would just turn that into a time of prayer. And that discipline holds true still today. As God speaks, I write it down. As He teaches me, I write it down. And then I just turn it right into a time of prayer and say, God, here's what you're teaching me. Here's what I want to apply to my life. Give me grace to do that. Help me to carry that throughout the day. You know, you can choose to read the Bible like I did. Just choose some books and start plowing through. Read them over and over and often. Or if you desire, you can read through books of the Bible that I'm preaching. Now, I'm preaching through 1 Peter, taking a break this morning. But I'm preaching through 1 Peter. So you could literally get up every single morning, spend time in 1 Peter, and ask God to speak to your heart. And then when you would come to church, I'd be preaching on 1 Peter. Guess what? God would confirm in your life what you are learning on a daily basis. And he will only use the preaching of the word to then fan your flame of devotion to spend time with the Lord. You'd be shocked at how God speaks to you if you were to do that. Or you can spend... You know, uh, every single day, reading the book of the Bible that your Sunday school class is, getting, uh, is studying. Read it over and over. Look, the goal of reading the Bible is not quantity, it is quality. So have a Bible. Get a journal. Uh, and I know how men are. Get a journal? What are you, some kind of sissy? No. All right, let's go on. And uh, yeah, I don't have any, anything to say to that straw man, but I will just say... No, I'm not a sissy. All right, but I do have a journal. And I do write in pink. No, I'm just kidding. But anyways, <laughs> I need to, that's why I need to stick to my notes, all right? But you just write down what the Lord's teaching you. Is there a command to obey? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a lesson for you to learn? Is there a new truth for you to carry out uh, throughout that particular day? Write it down. Speak about it to the Lord. Talk to Him. Look at me for just a moment, eyeball to eyeball. You and I have the privilege of speaking to the creator of the universe. When you're praying, you aren't talking to the walls, man. You're talking to God. And God wants to hear from you. God desires to hear from you. And some of you are far away from the Lord right now. I've got great news for you. God is standing at the end of the driveway with his arms open, man. He's not standing there pointing a condemning finger at you. 
He wants you to come right back into his presence. Sit down and pick up right where you left off. What a marvelous truth about the Lord. So we write down our prayer request to the Lord, and then we finally go to step number three. After finding a place of isolation, spending time in meditation, you need to leave your time alone with dedication. And I love this. When God speaks, you dedicate yourself to listen and obey. Dedicate yourself. Let me just pause there for a moment. Dedicate yourself to listen and obey. Look, if God asks you to do something, God asks me to do something, I flat out need to do it right then and there. Now, if we choose to say, well, not necessarily, Lord, I, I think I'll hold off on that. I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that. Hey, don't expect him to come crying tomorrow. Y'all all right? He's going to say the same thing. And the reason some people are saying, you know, I read the Bible, but I just don't get anything out of it. I just don't, just don't feel anything. I'm just not learning. Right? Question. Question. What's the last thing God asked you to do that you didn't? He's going to bless your obedience. Whenever you obey what God's already asked you to do, he begins to reveal more truth to you. And that's kind of a theme of all of my preaching, but just stick with that. You have to be dedicated to obey the Lord. Dedicate yourself as well to share the truth that you're learning with others. You know, tell your wife what you're learning. Tell your husband what you're learning. Share the truth with your children. You know, you can do these things. Uh, I had a great time this uh, past week, I believe it was. Did it snow here? It snowed where we were, and uh, we got stuck at Powder Springs. But uh, we got the whole family together uh, one night. I think it was this week. It may have been the week before, so forgive my memory here. But we got ready, and all of a sudden, Christy comes out with this uh, huge bowl of uh, of stuff that's covered up that you can't see and put it down in the middle of the table and in front of me and the kids and said, okay, today this is the mystery fruit, you know, which I don't like anything that's mysterious. But anyways, we sat there and we began to go through a lesson together on the spiritual fruit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience. We learned a song and had a great time and then we revealed the fruit. And uh, what was the first fruit? Cherry. <laughs> I didn't like them. But anyway, so the, the cherries were revealed, and that revealed love because cherries are red. So we did that, and the next day the kids were like, when are we doing another mystery fruit? When are we, what are we doing? We're just sharing what the Lord's teaching us in the context of home life. Hey, hey, look, sir, your supper at night would go a lot better if you would get past your surface conversation, all right? Because here's what happens. You come in from work. You sit down to eat. Is this what we're eating? Right? And you say, well, how was your day? It was fine. How was your? It was fine. Uh, what you doing tomorrow? Same thing. What you doing? Same thing. All right. Then you eat. Go a little further, right? Why and wives, how blown away would you be if your husband said, put his fork down and said, you're not going to believe what God taught me in my Bible this morning. <laughs> Some of you wives, you'd have to pick your plate up off the floor because you'd have been unslung your spaghetti. Amen. You're like, you got to be kidding me. But you're sharing what the Lord, whenever you do that, God has a unique way of taking what you're learning and you're sharing it. You share it with those you live with, share it with those you work with, and you don't have to be all preachery about it. Just go and say, hey, man, listen to what God's teaching me. You're going to find that you are more motivated to get along with God than you ever have been before just because you're sharing. Hey, look, do you know why the Dead Sea is considered the Dead Sea? Because it has an intake of water, but no outflow. Here's what I've learned. People can come to church, and they can get all kinds of truth poured into them. <laughs> they can come to all of the Bible studies, get so much truth, but they're just dead. Why? No outflow. They're not sharing out of their life what's coming into their life. And that's the reason so many churches are dead. Look, you can be overwhelmingly doctrinally sound, but spiritually dead as a doornail. So you need to take the truth in, then you need to hand it out. So that's the first deal. I challenge you to a daily devotion with God. So we go back to our home screen here, and we're reminded of the second challenge. I want to challenge you to get involved in a small group. Commit yourself to a small group. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 1, notice what the Bible says. Jesus began to teach again by the sea. Such a large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea and the land. Now, look at the preacher just a moment. Some of you may be thinking, well, you're reading about Jesus preaching to crowds but telling us to get into a small group. 
I, I'm doing that on purpose because something unique took place as I studied the book of Mark. I found that Jesus would talk to the crowds, but then immediately following those sermons, he would actually get along with the 12 disciples in a small group setting. In fact, Jesus taught the crowds in parables in Mark chapter 4. And in Mark chapter 4, 10 through 11, we find Jesus got alone in that smaller group. It was in this smaller group that the disciples were given the opportunity to learn deeper and more life-altering truths for their, God, for their lives. And I find it interesting, too. All I did was just write down what did they do in their small group. What did they learn in their small group? I just wrote them down. Interesting, right? Listen to what I found. We find uh, after teaching the crowds in Mark 7, he's sharing his heart to the disciples in Mark 8. And it was in the small group that Jesus prayed with his disciples. It was in this small group that Jesus taught his disciples what it really meant to be great in the kingdom of God. It was in this small group that the disciples were given the opportunity to ask Jesus further questions to speed up their spiritual development. It was in this small group that Jesus sent the 12 out to do ministry. It was out of this small group that the disciples would go and make other small groups in the future. And we see the same paradigm taking place here at Concord. You know, this morning I am preaching to the crowds, so to speak. However, there, are, there is a small group opportunity for every single one of you to get involved in. It's called Sunday School. And it's in this small group that you get to know the heartbeat of God's teachers. It is in this small group that you are able to pray with others. It's in this small group that you are taught what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. It's in this small group where you are free to ask questions which will enhance your spiritual development. You know, it's in this small group that you are given the opportunity to minister to others. And it's in this small group that you will be given the opportunity to plant other small groups. So reality is, really the question is, when you came to church this morning, did you come at 9.45 or did you come at 11? This is the preaching to the crowds. And look at the preacher. You can flat out hide in this crowd. But you need to now take the next step and get involved in a small group Sunday school. You know, as we go back here for just a moment, we'll notice a, a fellow by the name of Ed Stetzer. He writes a lot of books for Lifeway. Listen to what Ed Stetzer said about small groups. Speaking of Sunday school, he said, the goal of small group is life change. He did a survey and found that 72% of the people in these life-changing churches said this, quote, when people are plugged into small groups at church, they are ministered to and they are well cared for. You know what's interesting? Uh, I'm in a Sunday school class. Y'all all right? Uh, as soon as I finish preaching the first service, I go to Sunday school. I go to Joe Burkett's Sunday school class. I remember when I was uh, getting ready to come here, people were asking me, are you going to go to Sunday school? Well, yeah. Why would I not go to Sunday school? I'm not doing anything <laughs> during that hour. So I may as well go to Sunday school and get to know some people and hear truth you know, there, and I've had a wonderful time. I've got to meet people, get to see their passions in ministry, get to see how they're gifted spiritually, get to see people who need to be ministered to, you know, get to hear teaching. Jay Burkett's, he's all right. But anyway, so, uh, but I go to Sunday school, don't tell him that, and uh, have a phenomenal time. I've been invited to more social events than I know what to do with. Uh, our class, I guess, is the party class, and we just have a phenomenal time. But here's what I found, you know. Take me out of the pastor role for just a moment. I'm just a member of the church for a second. And uh, I go to Sunday school. Why do you go to Sunday school? Because here's the deal with Sunday school. I know if something were to happen in my life, the life of my marriage, the life of my entire family, the ones who would rise up and minister to me in a time of crisis would be my Sunday school class. But here's what I found. There are people who are not involved in small groups, but they come to the big crowd, man. And then when they have a crisis... There's not a lot of people rising up because they don't know anybody. And they can come to church and they say, well, I just don't know anybody. I don't, I don't know any. You can get to know folks. Go to a small group Sunday school class. And you'll get to know them. You'll be ministered to and you can minister. Look, if you don't know where to go to Sunday school, come at 945 straight through that door in the music suite is a guest Sunday school class. All of our visitors go there. Several of our new members go there. Chuck Keener teaches that class. It's a phenomenal class. They will actually help you get plugged into a Sunday school that fits your particular needs. So you have an option. 
I think Chuck is in here this morning, too. Did I see him, or was that last service? Yeah, and y'all had a great crowd this morning, didn't you? A lot of people from 830 hadn't been going to Sunday school. So after their message this morning, they decided to go, and many of them went right over there to his class, and that was pretty cool. So we head back here. So what is your challenge? Well, it's very simple. There is a small group opportunity for every single person to get involved. It's called Sunday school. That's your challenge. Get involved in a Sunday school class. Now let's head back to our home screen here, and we'll find the third challenge of this I Challenge movement. Daily devotion, small group, but then thirdly, I want to challenge you to share the gospel this year. Are y'all listening? Say amen. And I'll be quite honest with you, I would much rather say share the gospel this week, but we're just going to do it in the context of a year to try to encourage you to make that a point of your lifestyle. Now, notice with me what Mark 2 and verse 15 says. The Bible says, and it happened that Jesus was reclining at his house and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many of them and they were following him. And that's Mark chapter two, verse 15. So Jesus spent so much time with those who were lost, the religious leaders began to slander him. Jesus actually said, it's not the well who need a physician, but it is the sick. And look, Jesus is our prime example. He was in the world, but not of the world. He did not isolate himself from those who were lost. He got in the middle of those, and he offered them hope. That's what we're supposed to do. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. It's found at the end of Mark's gospel. Look, our goal as Christians is not to retreat, but it is to advance. It's not to isolate and hide from a lost world, but it's to get out there and be the salt and the light that God has called us to be. And I have found that a lot of people do. They want to isolate their entire lives from the world. They just want to get away from everybody who's lost. Can I say to you, that's a sin. That's unbiblical, man. God has called us to get out there. And by the way, that's what Jesus did. And so we need to be doing that. And that's our model. We don't make up something new. Jesus told us what to do. So how are you going to share the gospel with someone who's lost this year? Well, we head just back here for a moment, and then we'll take a look together at six action steps that you can take. And these action steps, we're going to break them down into monthly goals. So in the month of January, I want to encourage you to identify and pray for the lost. You need to find people who are lost around you, write their names down, and begin to pray specifically for them, asking God to soften their hearts to the truth, open their blinded eyes to know who Jesus Christ is, to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, as Paul said. So you need to find some folks. I'd encourage you to find five people who are lost, maybe family members, maybe people you work with. You say, I don't know any lost people. You need to get to know some. Y'all all right? Get to know some. And then January, we roll down to February. We need to identify and meet a specific need in their life. As you are praying for them, as you're lifting them up to the Lord, you become highly sensitive to what's going on in their life. Something may take place in their family, and you can come right alongside and show them the love of Christ through your service, and you can meet a specific need. And then in March, you get a prayer request from them. You send a letter of encouragement to them. All right. As you pray for them, as you meet a specific need, could you imagine what it'd be like? You run up to somebody that you work with that you know is lost, and you say, "Hey, uh, Bob, I want you to know something, man. I've been praying for you, but I want to pray specifically for you. Anything I can pray specifically for you about?" Bob's going to give you a prayer request. Um, I don't know if it will happen to you, but I've never been turned down when I ask someone, "Could I pray for them specifically about something?" Just haven't been turned down before. Um, so hopefully that won't happen to you. If it does, say, I'm going to pray for you anyway, all right? But you write it down, and then what happens is after you pray for them, you write them a little letter of encouragement. Send that note to Bob. Hey, Bob, just letting you know, man, I've been praying for your mama. No, she's sick. And what you're doing is you are opening up relationships for you to share the good news. And then we come down here, January 4th, March, April, invite them to your home. Get those people inside your house. Spend some time getting to know them, loving on them. Could you imagine what it would be like? They come to your house, your lost coworker and family. They come sit down at your table. And right before you eat, say, all right, guys, we're going to say the blessing right quick. And then you bow your head and close your eyes. And then you pray for them as they're there as guests in your home. You pray specifically about what's going on in their life. If you want to, you can pray the gospel. Are you all all right? <laughs> so anyway, Lord, I know that these people visiting with me are lost and on their way to hell. And <laughs> 
But you invite them to your home. You get them to know them. And then you go down here to the next step. Send a gift to them. After they come to your house, send them something. Get them a book or something. Just encouraging them. All you're doing is opening up opportunities for you to continue to have a relationship with them. And then finally, in June, you invite them to church. And uh, once you invite them to church, I'm also going to say invite them out to eat. Say, hey, come to church with me this Sunday. We're going to go eat afterwards. Are y'all with me out there? And here's what happens. Here's the best thing that can happen. You take them out to eat after church, and every single Sunday I'm going to preach the gospel. I always share the gospel at the end of the service. So here's what you can do to open up a spiritual conversation. You're eating with them. Just look at them and say, so what did you think about what Levi preached on this morning? And if they start talking about how I was preaching on suffering in the midst of trials, they said, yeah, I remember that. Well, what did you think about the last thing he said about lost and needing to be saved? Go right to the gospel with them. Share with them how your life's changed. Share with them how their life can be changed. Say, I've never been trained to do that. Look at the preacher just a moment. The Samaritan woman was not trained either. But the Bible says in John chapter 4 that she went to the hometown where she came from, and here's what she said. Hey, y'all come see a man. And the whole city was changed. You can do this. Look, let me give you the conclusion here. What I'm doing this morning, we just go back to the home screen as a source of reminder. What I'm doing this morning is simply challenging you. I'm challenging you to do something great. I'm encouraging you to follow Jesus like you never have before. Uh, your home needs your surrendered commitment. Your workplace needs your surrendered commitment. Your generation needs your surrendered commitment. Generations to come, they need you to surrender and to commit. So today, uh, the proverbial line in the sand is being drawn, all right? We draw the line in the sand and say, all who want to spend time daily with the Lord, step over the line. All who need to get involved in the Sunday school class, get over the line. All who want to share the gospel this year and see someone saved, come over the line. You can do this. All of us can do that. Could you imagine if every single person in this church decided to do these three foundational things? It'd be crazy. Be crazy good. Can I say something to you? This morning we had uh, a young man come to, to faith in Christ, little guy, and uh, afterwards uh, I, I got the opportunity to talk to his mama. I found out his mama didn't go to church. Now, my deal is I, I, my, my evangelism takes six seconds, not six months. Y'all all right? That's just kind of, we're all wired a little differently. So I sit down with her and share the gospel with her. Tell her. And here's what I did. I just, said, I just put two sheets of paper down. I said, here's God, and here's you. God created you to have a relationship with him. But you see that space between you and God? She said, yeah. I said, that space is there because of your sin. I said, you know what sin is? She says, yeah, doing wrong things. I said, I know. You ever told a lie? She says, yes. What's that make you? A liar? Yes. The Bible says liars will have their place in the lake of fire. You ever stole something? Yeah. What's that make you? A thief. All right, so the Bible says thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. You ever murdered anybody? She said, no. I said, thank you, Jesus. All right, so anyway, <laughs> I said, look, that's three of the Ten Commandments. There's seven more pointed at you. The Bible says, James 2 and 10, if you broke one commandment, you're guilty of all of them. So when you die, you'll stand before God's lying, thieving, murder, and adultery at heart. You've got to face God on judgment day. How's that going to go for you? Oh, he's a forgiving God. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. He's a forgiving God. But if you hold on to your sin and then you die and stand before God, you'll find out he's a just God. And he's not just going to overlook your sin. If he did that, he'd be unjust. Yep. So what God did to save you and forgive you of your sin was send Jesus to live a sinless life. He died on a cross. God the Father treated Jesus Christ the Son as if he committed all of your sin. Yep. Now, that doesn't mean that you're automatically saved or everybody would be saved. There's still a space between you and Jesus. You need to turn from your sin, place your faith in Jesus Christ so that you can be saved. Sound like something you need to do? She says, yes. I said, what would keep you from doing it right now? She said, I don't want to. Are y'all all right? Y'all are hoping she'd get saved, aren't you? You say, well, does that bother you, Levi? Nope. Why, why does that not bother you? Because she's not rejecting me. She's rejecting Jesus. Uh, my call isn't to save them. My call is to share with them. And here's the deal. You're going to share the gospel, and you're going to get turned down more times than James got turned down for the prom. Y'all all right? I mean, you're just going to get turned down. That's all I could think of. Just stay faithful to it. Stay faithful to it. God will honor it. God will use it. Amen. Y'all still with me? That was pretty funny, wasn't it? <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry. But this is the deal. We, listen, you've got to listen to me closely. We cannot do this as just a small group within the context of the church who are really committed and the other 80% don't really give a rip. Look, that's not going to make an impact in this culture. Everybody's got to get in on this. So you need to get in on it. And we can do it. We can do it together and we can actually make an impact. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something. We can turn this little 
city upside down. We can turn these counties upside down. And God can use us to shake the globe. We've got to get after it. Let's pray. Father.